Are you interested in Christian education? Would you like to learn how to be a Christian teacher or how to run your very own Christian school with success? The GCS Apprenticeship Program can help. Learn more on our website at gcsapprenticeship.com. Reconstructionist Radio presents The War Room, where we discuss tactics for strategic Christian living. of the War Room. I am your host for this. uh, I'm your host, Joe Salant, for this edition right now. And we are going to be talking about white guilt, Daniel 9, and the problem of slavery in Christian America as it relates to the application in the background of Joel McDermott's, Dr. Joel McDermott's new book, The Problem of Slavery in Christian America, an ethical judicial, an ethical, excuse me, an ethical judicial history of American slavery and racism. And look, to give you all a little bit of, let's, let's back up and get a little bit of a theological background to where we are today. It was R.J. Rush Dooney that said law in every culture and every civilization is religious in origin and law reflects what men believe to be right and wrong in society, reflects the idea of culture, justice, ultimacy. And as a result, law is inescapably religious because your idea of justice, your idea of morality is a religious idea. Some religion will be encoded in law and any, in every society, uh, in every, in, in every society, the source of law will be the God of that society, determining ethics, determining right from wrong and being the standard or lack thereof in a said society. So any change in law is a change in the religion in a society. And it is no mistake to any biblically literate Christian, even some who are not biblically literate, that the God of our society today in America, the West, but American specific, is Moloch, the king state. And the source of law is the recycled ancient Greek and Roman model of the philosopher kings, our betters, the elite masterminds, centralized control, ruling through a centralized bureaucracy, top-down, iron-fisted rule with the aid of modern technology has brought us the big brother state. Top-down authority from the pagan state. How did we get here today? The mark of the beast, the image of God sacrificed for a number merely to subsist in the humanistic system. My brother, Carrie Appling, had a great video that he just did live for that. Moloch, the king state. And the word Moloch is, simply means king. The ancient Israelites sacrificed to Moloch, the king state. 
Moloch always demands human chattel for sacrifice. Slavery to the state by biblical standards in economics, in, in, in slavery to state by biblical standards in economics, sets 10% in 1 Samuel 8 as, as for taxation as slavery. I mean, today, where are we today? It's just, I mean, it's ridiculous. And that's just one form of slavery that exists in America. I mean, after all, slavery is a post-fall reality. And it's always a question of which slavery will we have? The biblical model, which is evangelistic, corrective, and restorative in nature. Or the pagan model, which denies the image of God in man and treats human beings as chattels. Things. So again, any any person with a biblical worldview who, who is who is literate uh, from from a scriptural view can see that the God of America is not Jesus Christ, but Moloch, Demos, the modern manifestation of the ancient paganism, which is secularism. Despite the bumper stickers and the signs at the neocon rallies, we are not a Christian nation. We are in a missionary situation. So how do we change course? How do we go from blessing to cursing, from humanism to the perfect law of liberty? Well, the answer starts with becoming epistemologically self-conscious in regard to our own history, who we are, how we got here, how we exchanged the truth of God for the lie. We must find where the root of this evil change in law and religion started in our culture and yank its tentacles from our blood-soaked soil. When we do this, we'll be surprised to find, now listen up, we will be surprised to find that we did not go from Christ to Moloch in the 1960s. It didn't happen in the 60s, but the seeds of this were sown in the 1600s. The seeds of this were sown in the 1600s. Consider the famous John Winthrop, who wrote the City on the Hill sermon, the governor of Massachusetts Bay Colony. He's known from this sermon, the City on a Hill in 1630. Did you know that uh, in 1645, Edward Downing wrote his brother-in-law, Governor Winthrop, the same Governor Winthrop, expressing the desire for a just war, a just war, a righteous war with the Peacock so that he could trade captive Indians for black slaves on the transatlantic market. His comments show the outlook of the elite, of the elite at least, uh, if not others at well. And this is what he said. This is from the mouth of, uh, of John Winthrop. This colony will never thrive until we get a stock of slaves sufficient to do all of our business. We must build the pyramids and we need slave labor to do so. These slaves are valuable for their labor. That is the city on a hill. That is the foundation. That is a foundational block of the city on a hill. Now, early colonies would later completely undercut English common law based on the biblical model 
for Roman pagan lawlessness for the sole purpose of stripping the black slave of their human value and treating them as the Romans treated their slaves in the ancient Roman Empire, as things, as chattel. Black chattel slavery comes from that idea, exchanging the benefits that slaves would have under English common law for the dark, bleak existence of being a slave in the old Roman system and being a chattel slave at that. This was the exchange that would happen. And God is not mocked. What we do to the least in society will be done unto us. We sit here today, and it is no mistake that we sit here today under a Roman tyranny that slipped in the door when we rejected the justice of the law of God for the most vulnerable in our society. And now that the law of God has been rejected, for us. Now the law of God has been rejected for us as well. And Moloch sits on the throne in the pagan state. And we have a police state. And we have a state where slavery is, is rampant, though known by different, though, though maybe unknown by different means and procedures and, and tricks and veils. That, that table has been turned on us directly because of our actions in exchanging the truth of the law of liberty for a lie. I mean, to the point that the law of God has been rejected for us in this society today, it is even mocked by our own theologians, theologians and celebrity preachers in the midst of the ministry industrial complex. It's compared to Islamic pagan Sharia law. Let that sink. The, the rooster has crowed. The chickens have come home to roost. What we wanted, we wanted this shift in law to oppress a class of people. Now we are oppressed and our own preachers are telling us that the law of God is Sharia law. That's where it is. Make no mistake though, there was much in our founding that was Christian and based on the scriptures applied to all of life. But when evil is tolerated, and we're not consistent with applying the gospel of the kingdom of God in every single sphere, especially when injustice and unrighteousness, injustice and unrighteousness is enacted upon the weak, the foundation will be eroded and we will be left standing in the bloody, mucky, slunken sand. Ask Solomon who sowed the seeds of idolatry for his descendants of which the righteous Daniel was exiled to Babylon half a century later. Now look, if there's anybody that deserved to reject the sins of their predecessors and scoff of the idea of white guilt for black slavery, it was Daniel. I mean, is it biblical to, per to repent for sins that we have never even participated in? Is it biblical? For the sins of our long dead ancestors, many Christians in the U.S. today say no. Even some very sharp Christian theologians, even some sharp Reconstructionists will still say no, it is not biblical. But what do they do with Daniel 9 where Daniel said yes? I submit to you 
And this is really the thesis of the application of the problem of slavery in Christian America by Dr. Joel McDermott. I submit to you this, that any return to the promised land or to restoring America or to making it great again or anything like that must start with repentance for the sins that brought us where we are today. And a righteous person is not afraid of taking on guilt that is not his personal guilt, because that is what Daniel did. And more important, that is what Christ did on the cross. And anyone that complains that someone else's guilt is being tossed on his back does not understand the main concept of Christianity, has no idea whatsoever of the main context of Christianity. I would like to take a second to read Daniel 9, the first portion. And Daniel turned his face, and if there's anyone that could claim, right, I mean, there, we don't even, even have any, any known sin recorded of Daniel in the Bible. And this is his prayer in Babylon, as he is suffering and suffered with generations for the covenantal sanctions of breaking God's law. And Daniel said, And I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled Turning aside from your commandments and your rules, we have turned aside from your law, God. We have substituted in something else, Lord. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people. Of the land to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us belongs open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all of Israel, those who are near and those who are far away in the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, to us, Daniel says, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame, belongs white guilt. To our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To our Lord belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. And we do not obey the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Lord, we changed your rules for wicked rules so we could oppress men. And now we are being oppressed, Lord. Mm. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice and the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses and the servant of God have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us great calamity for under the whole of heaven. There has not been anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. 
as it is written in the law of Moses. All this calamity has come upon us. Covenantal sanctions has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord, our God, turning from our inequities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all of the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, who have, you have, who have, and have made a name for yourself at this day, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all of your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because of our sins and the inequities of our fathers. Jerusalem, your people have become a byword among all who are around us. America has become a byword, an exporter of humanistic filth, a land of of the uh, pre-born Holocaust, where one image bearer of God is slaughtered every 30 seconds to the idol of Moloch, child sacrifice, where Christians debate whether or not a incremental bill that makes it so you can't take a 21-week-old baby to the child sacrifice center is going to be ensconced as law in an effort to end this, you know. That is where we are today. That is where we are today. A byword. A byword. Unrighteous and unjust. Plain and simple. We are a byword among those who are around us. Now, therefore, oh God, listen to the prayer of your servant. And to his pleas for mercy and for your own sake, Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes. See our desolations that that the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O oh my God, because your people and your city are called by your name. Now that's Daniel. That's Daniel. Seeing... Through, seeing back through history. And he's on his knees in repentance for the covenant breaking of his predecessors. Somebody didn't inform Daniel that he shouldn't have this guilt on his back. That this is not his axe to grind. This is not his burden to carry. Somebody didn't tell Daniel that. But thank God Daniel did not listen to the modern U.S. conservative. And instead, had a covenantal heart of repentance. Absolutely. Absolutely, 100%. So different from the mindset that we have today in the ministerial industrial complex. So different of the mindset that we have even in educated reformed circles. Now, as most of y'all know, 
we have more, uh, a few more viewers on now. Most of y'all know I've been narrating Joel McDermott's book, The Problem of Slavery in Christian America, an ethical judicial assessment of American slavery and racism for Reconstructionist Radio. And you can get up to date on your reading there on Recon Radio if you look up The Problem of Slavery in Christian America. I'll be reading it to you. You can also, I do, please. Get a copy of that book. Go to AmericanVision.org. Get a copy of that book. This book will be remembered 150 years from now. This book will be remembered. Now, it has been an experience, not only that I'll never forget, but the details of which kind of will be etched into my heart for the rest of my life. This, this has been a very difficult experience uh, reading this book. I'm not a stranger to a microphone. I'm not a stranger to a stage. I'm not a, I, you know, reading a, a book into a microphone would be something that would fall right into my wheelhouse. But this has been very, very hard. Um, and I'm someone that has background and experience as a Christian in ministry circles. And, and I'm supposed to be an educated individual. And the stuff that I'm coming, up, coming across in this book I've never heard a lot of it. I've never even heard before and it's tough. It's, it's tough. I've, I've been wanting to get violent with my computer. Each chapter has taken at least twice as long as normally required to record, uh, for such a project. I mean, I've had to stop on almost every page and just sit there and glare furiously at my computer screen in utter disbelief at the contents of what I'm reading. I mean, frequently I've experienced kind of a surreal phenomenon of kind of just hearing the words that I'm reading into the microphone in a detached, like third person type of experience, involuntarily like trailing off from where I was recording, sitting there in utter shock, mouth hanging down from like the substance of what I just heard myself say, the way that Christians established injustice in America. I mean, how could those regarded throughout the world as self-conscious Protestant Christians institutionalize such unspeakable evil? I mean, everybody knows that, that slavery and racism are huge black marks on our historical landscape. But why did I, up until a year ago, a supposedly informed active conservative minister, a professional minister on the evangelical, cultural, uh, political, and, and apologetic circuit, have absolutely no idea about the details in this book. I've been an active participant in all sorts of events, glorifying America as a city on a hill. Let me repeat that. I, Joe Salant, have been part of all sorts of events as a conservative minister, glorifying America as a city on a hill urging Christians throughout the nation to make America great again. This is all the way up until a year ago, until I repented of my involvement in, the, in, in, this, in, in this idolatry. But this was me up until about a year ago. You know, throughout the nation, make America great again. I preached a sermon endorsing Donald Trump from a pulpit in which I glorified the Republican platform as some kind of biblical document. That, that, I mean, that was me. So... Um, and, and I, <laughs> I mean, I believed it was a way to fight humanism. Goodness. I mean, make America great again, restore her Christian foundations and so on. How on earth 
could events like this that I would be at, that I would be doing music in and speaking in, speaking at, how on earth could events like this go on in churches, conferences of churches and pastors and evangelicals, go on with materials provided by well-known, knowledgeable scholars and historians that omit the details in Dr. McDermott's book? I mean, there's always the, the absurd self-glorifying token, we fought a war uh, against ourselves to end the slave of scourgery. Dun, 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 dun. You know, what, what culture has ever been so great as to fight a war against themselves to end the slaves of, slave of scourgery, uh, end, the, end the scourge of slavery, and right on to the next glorifying nugget of American history. Right on to the flattering elements of the founding, which, again, do exist. Freedom was created in America for a number of people. It, biblical foundations for that freedom. But how absurd, dishonest, evil, not to mention unflattering, I mean, base, wicked basic facts that have real-time historical, ethical, judicial, co covenantal ramifications for why America is in her current state today. How absurd that these are just simply left out in some kind of self-glorifying exercise to recover the Christian foundations. For example, I did not know why, and I mentioned this in opening, but I did not know why, I did not know that our so-called predecessors in the Christian faith uh, in America, intentionally replaced English common law, which is based on the biblical law, with Roman pagan lawlessness in the civil code for the express purpose of accommodating slave owners' heinous works of darkness, such as, now listen to this, owning as property their own mixed-race son or daughter produced from adultery or, more commonly, rape of their black female slaves. We need to change the law from English common law. So this is not my son and my daughter. This is my property after I rape this woman. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. It is no accident that today we have a national government that is a top-down Roman pagan style tyranny. God's law is 100% clear. What you do to the widow, fatherless, orphan, and least in society, will be turned around against you. Anyone who understands presuppositionalism understands that. And I know I'm not alone. Most of my friends, associates, and now enemies, unfortunately, in the ministry industrial complex, that regard themselves even as vessels of the justice of God in society and the world, you know, export American ideals throughout the world, right, through the military industrial complex have absolutely zero knowledge about the gross corporate sins of our not-so-distant past. That nugget from chapter 1 of the problem in slavery, of slavery in Christian America that I just shared about how British common law, based off, and it's not perfect, based off biblical law, was, sw was swapped for Roman uh, law, specifically for treating slaves in such manner. The, the top-level American conservative Christian speakers and public figures today have absolutely zero Zero, zero idea about. And if they read this book, that would have been 
the first time. It is very important that we get the content of this book that Dr. McDermott has, has just published out there because we're not going to get any help, any help from the churchian powers that be. The denuding of the Christian faith did not begin in the 1960s in America. The seeds were sown way before that. The foundations of God's throne, righteousness and justice, were exchanged for the shifting bloody sands of pagan humanism far before the Revolutionary War even, as we have found out. This book is absolutely packed with unknown historical nuggets of filth that have a profound effect on our current standing as one nation under Moloch, sacrificing one image bearer of God through child sacrifice of abortion every 30 seconds, 3,500, 9-11, 9-11 every day, 1.2 million surgical abortions, Countless chemical, non-trackable abortions that are taking place. Uh, the, uh, the human trafficking of IVF. We are the land of child sacrifice. The concentrated state of Moloch who demands American blood. And he, may, and he demands to drink it from the least of these. And he gets it. And how did we set this up? How was this set up in a supposedly Christian Nation, one that was colonized by Puritans who had a better understanding of the Bible than anyone in the world at the time. Think about that for a second. Think about that. Indoctrination centers, lawlessness enforcement. So we have incubation centers where the minds of the rising generation are being trained up to be wards of the state. Lawlessness enforcement, the police state. Papers, please. Prison industrial complex, military industrial complex, 501c3, ministry industrial complex, ghetto, oppressive sojourner lawlessness. Pagan state. We, 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 are, we ask for the pagan state to own the land like a landowner does. We haven't learned our lesson that what we ask the state to do to the foreigner and the oppressed, the state will then turn around and do to us. Read the new immigration suggestion that they put up there in Congress and, and the national ID. We, we still we don't learn because we don't look at the history and we think that that, 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 we, that history started yesterday with, uh, with us. And so therefore we stay in the trap again. Any attempt to restore Christian foundations to America must go directly to the wicked root of the pagan foundations of our current plight. And any discussion about making America great again that doesn't take into account ethical judicial assessment of serious violations of God's law, or in other words, serious sin, and seek to walk in repentance and unravel the damage wrought by enemies of God taking advantage of our offenses against heaven because that is how it works ask the judeans when they saw the babylonians approaching the gates you know that might make for a nice campaign slogan make america great again but it's about as effective as electing republican politicians to the national government to abolish abortion as in zero effectiveness whatsoever counterproductive the only thing that can bring what we actually as Christians all should want, 
is repentance, restitution, rebuilding, reformation. All of these R's get preached about and thrown around and things like that to make ourselves feel good, but are just not the lifestyle. Furthermore, and this is an essential point, and Bo Marinoff does a great job consistently bringing this up, and, and he's traced this to Dennis Peacock, um, uh, elucidating, bringing to life the scriptures on the, on the following principle, that the culture follows those who serve. In God's economy, he who serves leads, especially he who serves the least in society is the one eventually that is going to be leading. These are the ones who are going to be taking over the mantle of influence. Matthew 20, 24 through 28 says that you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and that their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall become your servant. And whoever wishes to become first among you shall be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life for a ransom for many. That's Matthew 20, 24 through 28. So, so not only, so, so not only did our American predecessors in the faith, create this massive oppressed human cargo and chattel slavery, a look through history finds that Christians then manipulated God's perfect law of liberty to justify the wicked institution and then bastardize the scriptures to, to uh, justify the anti-covenantal pagan view of humanity that says culture is a product of genetics. Culture is genetics externalized. Different blood produces different cultures. And some humans were born to be slaves because of their DNA. Of course, the Christian view is that culture is a product of faith. And man is a religious being. Culture is religion externalized. That's Henry Van Til. And the, the religion of our culture today is humanism. You want to change that? Start serving the least. Aggressively start changing their plight. Start applying the law of God. Start repenting for sins that the covenantal community did to get them in that position right there, attached to the government in tyranny, in ghettos, in gulags. When chattel slavery ended, um, Christians in America continued to perpetuate this pagan view that culture is genetics externalized to justify hidden forms of slavery throughout the Jim Crow institutionalized segregation period and, and wholly left the cause of civil rights for blacks to the humanistic Marxists who sought to fill the void of service left by Christians in their apathy. And they did. The Marxists did. They created the brand new government plantations under the guise of the Civil Rights Act and the Great Society programs, where many descendants of chattel slavery and Jim Crow America languish today, stuck in the trap of the pagan state, incubated in inner city humanistic indoctrination camps to be used as human chattel once again in the multi-billion dollar prison industrial complex where one out of three blacks will toil at some point during their lives, one in three, you see, blacks are still a stigmatized minority group large enough 
to provide the human capital, human capital for the ruling elites, for the humanistic ruling elites. Without the good old churchians in the ministry industrial complex batting an eye. You know, I mean, you hear the slogans. Well, where are the fathers? This must be their fault. They're, I mean, they're a prison. It's a crime culture. It's a drug culture. It's a this culture. It's a that culture, right? You hear that, right? The pseudo-justice provided to the black community, the fake justice provided to the black community by the big government humanistic Marxists, coupled with the absolute lack of service and the uh, overall get over it, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, this is, an, this is America, what, so what about the past, it's the American way, you know, cold shoulder given by the white conservative Republican Christians to the black community, has put the black vote ironically consistently to the Democrat Party, the very party that constructed the monstrosities that have them enslaved today. And if you'll listen to the conservatives, the very embodiment of evil that they oppose. So think about how that goes all the way around presuppositionally. You know, I, I mean, we, we could go forever on that. The same elites in power enslave the de same demographic with different tactics while conservative Christians stand on the sideline and sling commentary. When the white conservative churches utterly lose it, and this I'm telling you, without repentance, this is the plight that will happen. When the white conservative churches utterly lose the last remnants of liberty to the humanists and become full slaves of body and conscience to the pagan state, the judgment will be complete. The cycle will have come around all the way. The hooks will be in our noses, leading us off to Babylon. Our giant ministry industrial complex buildings will be used for gigantic LGBTQ events and the like. The Roman armies will have surrounded Jerusalem and sacked the city. Yet it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. This is what Daniel did in Daniel nine. God heard Daniel's prayer and sent Gabriel to deliver special revelation, but he had to know Daniel had to know the list of sins to list them off. Most conservative Christians in America today have no idea about the depth of wickedness that lies on the ledger against the churches and institutions of America in regard to slavery and racism. When it's mentioned, it's just the callous, you know, don't try to guilt me, I never owned any slaves, is the response from Christian conservatives. Not an inkling of an effort, like Daniel, to make the prayer to the great and dreadful God. It keeps the covenant and mercy to them that love him and keep his commandments that we have sinned, that we have committed this inequity that we have done wickedly. You know, Daniel didn't have any lot in such deed personally. Most of these, you can say all of them have been committed and judgment was sealed way before Daniel's time. Yet Daniel understood the history. 
and identified with the transgressors and, and, and the, the transgressions of his people, acknowledged the curse of covenant breaking, cried for mercy, and showed this in an action, righteousness and justice through all spheres of his life. And he would, in his service, he was given a mantle of authority. He was given a mantle to establish justice in a pagan land. And are we not in a pagan land today? Do we not want the mantle to establish the foundations of God's throne? Psalm 89, 14, righteousness and justice. So we better not be afraid to have the heart that Daniel did to, to emulate the essence of what Jesus did on the cross. Look, and we better not have any hesitancy in serving the least of these because you don't get power from the top down. It's from the bottom up. You go to the bottom, especially the bottom that you created and you go and you make it better. And there, we're going to talk about a few things that we can do to do that at the end here. All right. But before that, this is going to be the hardest time, the hardest portion of, of what I'm about to do. Uh, the, the problem of slavery in Christian America presents the content. Now this book by Dr. McDermott, presents the content to show us the history that needs to be shown, that needs to be known, unraveled, and lifted to the throne room of heaven in prayer and forgiveness for. It is an ethical judicial case against Christians in America for church complicity with great evil perpetuated against blacks. Great evil, great evil. With the exception of the preborn and the American abortion genocide, which includes disproportionate numbers of murdered black babies, of course. The evil of American slavery and racism is our greatest national sense to the heavens. And you could argue, and it is a good case, that the two are just connected to as extensions to the same idol, maybe even the same hill of child sacrifice. Of course, both are connected. You know, both are sacrifices to Moloch. Both are sacrifices to the king state, which always demands human capital. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take a look. I want to I, buckle your seatbelt. We're going to take a look at a few excerpts and get our own list, our own white guilt list, so to speak, from Dr. McDermott's book so that we can get a look of exactly how bad this was. Now, the excerpts that, I've, that I had selected, I have to say 90% of the content I did not know. And I was a professional conservative flag-wielding idolater on the conservative circuit, making America great again. And I had no idea. I just didn't own any slaves, right? And I wasn't racist personally, right? So why blame me? So I want you to take a look. I want you to listen to some of these. Let me see if I can actually get these up on the, on the screen over here. That might be a little bit easier. All right. So did you know, and this is not in any historical order whatsoever, this is in no historical order or, you know, I mean, look, church complicity with slavery and racism in America from Dr. McDermott's book. Did you know that the worst kind of slavery was regarded by blacks as the slavery where churches would lease blacks to the plantations to pay the pay the salary of the pastor and meet other church needs where churches would lease Blacks to the plantations, churches to pay the salaries of their pastors because least slaves. The reason why they considered this the worst kind of slavery wasn't for necessarily 
religious reasons. It was because the least slaves were robbed of their last vestige of care that could have been derived from the self-interest of the owner. You see, rented slaves would be driven to get every last drop of usefulness possible within the allotted time, including from pregnant mothers. It would split slave families, often resulting in the murder of one of the members. From page 260 in Dr. McDermott's book, churches not only changed their message to accommodate slavery, not only defended the system, not only neglected to discipline offending members in their ranks, but the churches as churches engaged in what contemporaries called the worst kind of slavery, institutional slaveholding, in practice engaged in by schools, colleges, and even the churches in well as well, the holding of slaves by the corporate entity as an investment. Presbyterian minister William Hill spent part of his pastoral career at one church that practiced institutional slavery, Briary Presbyterian Church in Prince Edward County, Virginia. Looking back upon his service there in the 1830s, he related in his autobiography how the congregation supported him by a fund which consisted of slaves who were hired out from year to year to the highest bidder, which I considered the worst kind of slavery. Now listen, can you imagine, put yourself in this man's shoes, Presbyterian minister, pastor, William Hill, getting up to preach a sermon on the Lord's day, knowing that you're getting paid with the blood money for splitting up a black family with a pregnant black mother, sending them to the gulags where their life expectancy is a total crapshoot. I mean, that is the root of today's ministry industrial complex today. Paid pros to keep their mouth shut in a government ghetto. That is the covenantal sanction. Unreal. Could you do it? Could you do it? I mean, we sing a little louder while they're, uh, while the infants are being slaughtered at the abortion mill down the street. I don't see how this is much different, but this is really, I mean, this is the money's just being handed right to you. You know, here, here's the money, you know, for for uh, for John and Sally Smith. Uh, they're going to Thistlewood's farm. Chances are she won't be back. He's a pervert, but you need the money to preach your sermons. Correct. Goodness that 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 is in the history. So this is how Presbyterian moderator of the General Assembly, John Henley Thornwell, defended such practices. All right, 1847, and he defended these as Christian to infer that, and this is what he said, to infer that the Presbyterian church in this country, because it tolerates slavery as an existing institution, licenses the cruelty of tyrants or approves the oppression which humanity may inflict is foul injustice and reproach. We stand on the platform of the Bible. God's word recognizes the relation of master and servant as a relation which may lawfully subsist. <laughs> Unreal. Lawfully, lawfully subsist. Knowing this background, knowing this background, that's as high up, as high up a message as you can get from this, from this uh, good Presbyterian denomination of America, the, Amer the denomination that had the most, most uh, intellectual capital in shaping the institutions of freedom in America perpetuates that excuse for slavery in that manner as biblical. 
100 years later, in 1935, when blacks faced the extreme possibility of being hunted down and lynched in Jim Crow, in the Jim Crow era, a survey was conducted asking 5,000 ministers if they've ever preached against lynching. 3.3 responded positively in 1935. And you wonder why the pulpits are silent in the face of the abortion holocaust. You wonder why. You wonder why we can't do anything. You wonder why our feet are in the mud. You see, the first 20 blacks, the first 20 blacks delivered to Jamestown in 1619 were the fruit of nothing less than a crusade on the sea led by a Calvinist, John Colin Hope, John Colin Jope, and his ship, the White Lion. Congregational Puritans in the 1700s held slaves without scruple. In one instance, a church paid its minister, this is on page 226 of, of uh, McDermott's book, uh, with a slave stipend, again, common practice, 20 pounds toward the purchase of his Negroes. In 1757, Minister Peter Fontaine saw the institution as indispensable, check it out, to live in Virginia without slaves is morally impossible. The attitude toward holding these slaves? Is, is summed up in, the, in these words. Anglican minister. Again, this is also on page 227 of Dr. McDermott's book. Anglican minister who supervised the lashing to death, the brutal lashing to death of a runaway slave, says accidents happen now and then. Benjamin West wrote to his minister brother, a white man will shoot a Negro with as little emotion as he shoots a hare. That's it. So, northern churchmen, northern churchmen, not southern, but northern churchmen, regarded blacks after emancipation in the north. This is how they did it. In clear violation of 1 Corinthians 11.21. So, just in case, you know, Virginia or South Carolina or something like that is being mentioned too many times for your taste. Northern churchmen, after emancipation in the north. Consider this excerpt from page 253 of Dr. McDermott's book. Even after the process of emancipation began in the North, racism still held sway in the churches, just as in society. In parallel to the black codes, churches moved to segregate blacks as well, ever reminding them of their place, even among the brethren, was the same as it was in the northern streets, schools, and marketplaces. Most churches forced black brethren, listen to this, most churches forced black brethren into segregated sections of pews named African Corners, Nigger Pews, BM for Black Member Pews, or sometimes a choir, a choir, a loft choir of blacks. You know what that was called? Nigger Heaven in the church. Whites fiercely protected their own section from intrusion by blacks. During the time when pews were rented or owned by paying individuals, a black man in Boston once obtained a pew due to an outstanding debt. He was warned not to take the spot, but to instead sit in the black pews where he belonged, in church. When he braved the risk, he found a Philadelphia constable guarding the pew. He decided it wasn't worth it. In another case, in Randolph, Massachusetts, a black man even won a legal suit for his ownership of a white pew only to turn up on Sunday morning, found it covered in tar. 
There it is. The North has always been complicit with slavery. Rhode Island, North has always been just as racist as the South, including Rhode Island, which mounted 1,000 slave voyages and imported 100,000 image bearers of God into the institution of slavery. And Rhode Island took these slaves to the Caribbean, the worst place that you, that you could be. And in South Carolina, which based their plantations off of the torturous Caribbean model, where the life expectancy was something like five or six years per slave. All right, let's move on. More from Dr. McDermott's book. The slave codes, such as the casual killing principle, listen to this, the slave codes were read from the pulpits in a satanic perversion of Ezra's reading of the law. Think about Nehemiah 8. In a perversion of the public reading of the law, the slave codes were read by ministers from the pulpits, you know, right before the sermon or perhaps before they, you know, prayed over the bread and the wine, right? Lifted the elements to God, you know, the, the most important things that we could be doing. Uh, in church, the sacraments, right? Right before the sacraments. This is maybe what they said. This is what they did. They read the slave codes. And here's an example. Simple runaways who remained in the colony were punished like in Virginia. Whipping first, then branding with an R on the second offense. Picture this from the pulpit. A third offense meant the loss of an ear. A fourth offense in South Carolina, however, was punished with castration. No fear, however, for the statute provided for contingencies in the case that the slave did not survive castration. Don't worry, the master is compensated for the loss. Read from the pulpits. Read from the pulpits. Just in case this did not solve the problem, the statute actually envisioned a fifth offense for which the law commanded that one of the slave's legs be cut off right from above the heel or else death penalty. Finally, so that the slaves may finally learn their place in society, the 1735 code forbid them to wear any clothing above the condition of slaves. You know, they confining them to the Negro cloth that would be read from the pulpit. Coarse kerses, blue linen, checkered linen, coarse garlics or calicos, check cotton, scotch plaids, not exceeding 10 shillings per yard for the check cottons from the pulpit. It's the rules, you know, rules, law of the land, law of the land. So the casual killing principle, this is 100 years before the revolution. Now, this is in the glory days of founding America, the casual killing principle. 1691, and this is from page 19 of, of Dr. McDermott's book, so we're going back to the beginning. Uh, 1691 legislature also extended the casual killing principle to apply to runaways and absentee slaves. The act for suppressing and outlying slaves additionally empowered sheriffs, officials, and members of search parties in case any Negroes, mulattoes, or other slave or slaves lying about as or aforesaid shall resist, run away, or refuse to deliver or surrender him or themselves, it shall and may be lawful for such person and persons to kill and destroy such Negroes, mulattoes, or any slave or slaves by gun or any other ways whatsoever. 
Law. Law. Shoot them on sight. They would tell the men of the church to bring their pistols. Bring their finger pistol for the service just in case you have to apply the casual killing principle. You see one of them running about. Shoot them on sight. The master will be compensated at the public treasury. That's the, that is the background. Okay, consider the complicity with slavery throughout society. Consider how the entire society was complicit here with this. Let's take the example of the carpenter. Around 1725, the example of the carpenter. And this is from page 27. Page 27 of Dr. McDermott's book. All right. Consider the psychology of such a person as he has gone to work in one morning to cut out the slave deck of one of these ships. The, 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 job, the job requires an overall set of plans for the overall ship, showing how many bodies this carpenter must design, this, uh, how, many, how, many, uh, uh, how many bodies the, the designer intends to carry, which would include a set of details for the dimension of the compartments with minimal ventilation port, ports. The carpenter would set a look at the plans and then just nod in agreement. Yeah, I could do that. I could, I could design a ship that would carry this many black slaves. Then he would set, set to work, consciously knowing he was building a trap in which the contract he would stuff hundreds of Africans who would excrete waste upon one another for weeks, barely able to breathe. Barely enough space even to sit up, many of whom would die because of the passage and the very work of his hands. And he got busily to work, measuring, cutting, fastening, sanding the planks, drilling the holes in which to bolt down the shackles, tested the sturdiness of the works. And when he was finished, he stood back and with a sense of a job well done, nodded once again with pride in his work and received his fees. They were just doing their jobs. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. They were just doing their jobs. They were just doing their jobs. I don't think I'm going to be able to get through all of these. Let, let's 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 hit a couple more. Um, from page 37 of Dr. McDermott's book, the the island slave tyrants, model for South Carolina slavery. I mean, this 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 stuff. It's just it just it's just so sickening. It just gets you so. It just gets you so angry. It just, I mean, it just, it makes you, it, I, I don't have an emotion for, you know, reading, reading this stuff. It's just done in the name of Christ. It's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. It's a, uh, you know, this is, it's, it's been quite an experience, you know, going through all these details, but the Island slave tyrants, you know, modeled which were modeled for South Carolina slavery in the Caribbean and, Things like that, you know, um, from page 37 on numerous occasions, this is on, this is Thomas Thistlewood, the most famous Island slave tyrant. Um, I, I, on numerous occasions, he recorded punishments meted out to slaves, never expressing remorse or second thoughts. Listen to this. At times, these punishments were exotic in their cruelty. One practice he named Derby's dose. If you have kids, if you have kid, you, you, um, you you want to you want to get them away actually right now if you have kids watching this you want to get them probably away right now all right uh one second yeah absolutely yeah Bo. It, yeah reads like gulag Ar archipelago absolutely um this yeah it's it's tough it's tough it's tough to read and keep the 
professional narration voice for Reconstructionist Radio stuff. All right, so if your kids are gone now, uh, we'll go. Uh, this is Thomas Thistlewood. This is uh, this is Thomas Thistlewood. All right, uh, one practice he named Derby's Dose, involving forcing one slave to defecate in the mouth of another. On another occasion, he placed a bondsman in stocks, rubbed molasses on him, and allowed insects to swarm over him during the night. Thistlewood also records detailed 3,852 acts of sexual intercourse with 138 women, many slaves, and many of which were outright rape. As shocking as all of these recordings may seem, there is no reason to believe that Thistlewood was uniquely violent or sadistic by, sadistic by Jamaican standards. In fact, Thistlewood and his neighbors actually judged some white newcomers to be too violent. Think about that. Uh, for for uh, for Trevor Bernard, violence and brutality was far from incidental to Jamaican slavery. They were its very heart. In a colony with such a large enslaved minorities, whites quickly learned to instill terror or tyranny as the surest way to maintain dominance. All right, you want to know a technique that they used to use for to suppress slave rebellions? Page forty-six, Doctor McDermott's book, "The Problem of Slavery in Christian America." One technique. And why are we going over this? We're going over some of the sins. When Daniel was looking through history, and when, when he was praying in Daniel 9, when he was looking through history and he was praying on his knees in repentance, he had the sins of Israel and the sins of Judah in his head. He had them in the back of it. He knew what the covenant faithlessness was. So that's what we're doing right now. Specific to the victims, not just slavery was bad. It gets a little bit more personal. When you see these, when you see what happened to the victims, one technique to discourage slave rebellions is called being broken on the wheel. Page 46, Dr. McDermott, a large wooden wheel to which the victim was often tied, which was, which the victim was tied often spread Eagle with the spaces between the spokes, allowing rooms for the bones to break and give way. And then they were beaten out until however many broken bones satisfied the executioner. At that point, the victim was left lying in exhaustion to die from pain exposure or have the animals eat them or whatever. Often several hours or days later. You want to know where you got your police? Roving police forces as early as 1712, when it wasn't even really an official police, way before police were invented by humanists in Europe during the Enlightenment. Way before that. And they were they were they were brought to, to pre prevent they were brought into place to prevent gatherings of blacks in Charleston on Sabbath days and holidays. Constables ordered to create roving police forces, granted the power to enter into any house without warrant. Slaves caught with listen to this, slaves caught with small stolen goods were whipped. Often a second offense had an ear cut off, and oftentimes the master would tell the slave to steal something for him. Not tell, command the slave to steal property. And they're caught, often had a second offense, ear cut off. Third offense had their nose slit. And a fourth, they were put to death. Later, federal police forces to hunt slaves and force the Fugitive Slave Acts. That's on page 140, 145 of Dr. McDermott's book. Bo Marinoff does a great job covering it in two acts to the Root podcast. One of them titled, Should We Have Police? I mean, didn't you know 
The police were made to hunt slaves. You see, today, there ain't much changed. Not at all. The original draft of the Declaration of Independence included the slave trade in the grievances. That was rejected. Page 63 of Dr. McDermott's book. You know, Patrick Henry used the terminology of slavery in regard to taxation three times in liberty of death. Think about the irony for that. Think about the irony. You know that black help was used to take down a statue of King George III in New York by self-dubbed Sons of Freedom? How ridiculous is that? I mean, how, how hypocritical and ridiculous is that? 100%. The, the, the absolute uh, dog and pony show compromised with slavery at the Constitutional Convention just put the cherry on top of the national government that swallowed up that liberty in 1787. And it was it re, reading these reading the uh, uh, Madison's notes actually caused actually caused um, abolitionist William Lloyd Garrison to burn the Constitution as a covenant with death, covenant with death in Boston openly at the Constitutional Convention. A lot of conservatives say, oh, the Constitution uh, was meant to outlaw slavery after a certain amount of time and so on and so forth. Uh, from Dr. McDermott's book, this is how the South thought about that. This is what South Carolina said openly at the convention. If the convention thinks that North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia will ever agree to the plan unless their right to import slaves be untouched, the expectation is in vain. The people of those states will never will never be such fools as to give up such important of an interest. That's John Rutledge, South Carolina. Did you know that the author of the Declaration, Thomas Jefferson, was an advocate for slave breeding? The great author of the Declaration, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal except for the ones that we're going to breed. Page 104 of Dr. McDermott's book. Extinguishing the light of the word of God from slaves' minds because the Bible inspired rebellion to their tyranny. Okay, this one, before, we're, we'll, we'll close this section out. I mean, we, we get kind of the idea of where this is. This, this book is just packed, every single page of this book is packed with, with fat historical nuggets like this. I want to I I touch on one point. Um, black athletes standing for the special song, the flag song. You want black athletes to stand for the national anthem? Did you know this about the author, Francis Scott Key, of the national anthem? That he was a bigot district attorney whose cops had a reign of terror on blacks. The founding member of the American Colonization Society, which is the slavery equivalent of the pro-life movement today. Francis Scott Key's cops on one occasion robbed blacks after a party and caught one of the black women and sold her into slavery. When exposed by abolitionists, Francis Scott Key imprisoned one of them named Reuben Crandell, who died after being kidnapped in jail of tuberculosis. During his trial, Key said, are you willing, gentlemen, to abandon your country to permit it to be taken from you and coupled by the abolitionist, according to whose taste it is to associate and amalgamate with the Negro? But should stand for the song he wrote, right? Dun, 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 dun. That was the man behind that song. It's absolutely, I mean, the, the, the history, the history that is, that is just right in here. This, this is 
Keys police forces roved around terrorizing blacks. Terrorizing them. And he was a absolute bigot to the worst, to the filthiest mindset. Want to associate and amalgamate with the Negro? That is the author of the National Anthem. Should give us a little bit of pause and allow brothers and sisters in Christ or allow black athletes or whatever to have a little bit more liberty when it comes to this issue, wouldn't you think? Wouldn't you think? You know, Jim Crow lawlessness. Well, after, slave, after slavery so-called ended, did you know that we had convict leasing programs? They ran all the way up throughout the 1900s, up until the 1900s that made blacks into convicts and then leased them out to white gulags with worse conditions than slavery. The conditions on these uh, convict leasing programs were worse than the early plantations. Check page 215 for that in Dr. McDermott's book. It was often worse for blacks after chattel slavery was abolished, after the 13th and 14th Amendment. It was often worse for them in the so-called reconstructed South. It was, it was I mean, the, the, the stains, the stains in our history, the absolute violations of the law of God are just so terrible, are just so egregious when it comes to the relationship between the churches, the white churches, the ministry industrial complex, the conservative crowd, the, 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 the instrumentalities and in power claiming the name of Jesus Christ. The offenses are just so egregious toward the black community, toward blacks in general. And you still have apologists today, though they're maybe not many in number, that overtly try to say that this is a biblical form of slavery. And that brings us to the point where we are going to wrap it up with the conclusion, the, the, the points of emphasis of where do we put our boots on the ground with this? Why are we going over this today? Why talk about white guilt? Why talk about Daniel 9 in application to our situation today? Why talk about the problem of slavery in Christian America? I encourage everyone to listen to our recent war room where Bill Evans interviewed Joel McDermott about this book, The Problem of Slavery in Christian America. It is an absolute must. Dr. McDermott did not intend to write a book about slavery and racism in America. You have to hear this, this, this interview with Bill Evans and Joel McDermott on the war room. He did not originally intend to write this book. His original purpose, Dr. McDermott's original purpose, was to write a book about criminal justice reform. Obviously, a biblically literate Christian knows that the only way justice and righteousness, you know, Psalm 89.14, the foundations of God's throne, are implemented in society is by the application of Scripture, God's perfect law of liberty, in the institutions of society. Scripture does not authorize the prison industrial complex version of government slavery. For crimes, it prescribes penalties ranging from restitution to the death penalty, and it is always victim-focused. Restoration and healing for the victim, the essence of justice. There is no the state of Texas versus Joe Salant in the Bible because the state cannot be the victim of a crime. 
if biblical justice were implemented, the injustice of the prison industrial complex would be abolished. However, here's the rub. Here's what Dr. McDermott's looking at. A critical element of biblical criminal justice is biblical slavery. For when a criminal works to pay off a debt, for example, incurred through a crime, such as inability to pay restitution, you know, biblical slavery. The biblical model, of course, is, is much more effective because instead of having the victim pay to house their offender, to house the criminal in a cage with other career criminals where the criminals can play ball, do drugs, plan their activities after their release day, now the criminal is now being restored through productive work and learns diligence in the process, perhaps even obtaining a trade that totally changes the course of their previously dark life. So, Dr. McDermott wants to write a book on criminal justice, and slavery is the solution. <laughs> criminal justice reform in America, slavery is the solution. Biblical slavery... But, yet after we've heard the details of the long span of history in America, about how the churches were complicit with the horrors of slavery, the anti-covenantal view of racism to, to, to make a slave out of someone just because of their genetics, how do you think a book on criminal justice reform advocating biblical slavery as the solution to the prison industrial complex would go over in the current climate of the black community. How do you think that would work? Like a lead balloon. That's exactly how it would work. I mean, to say the least, understating the issue, we simply have not done enough to earn the voice, to earn the voice, to be able to suggest the biblical solution to criminal justice reform in America. How you think that message will work? You know, but let's no, let's get rid of the prisons. We're going to get rid of the jails, the prison. We're, you know, we're going to institute biblical slavery instead. That has a redemptive function. You think? <laughs> you think the black community will go for that after this history and after the churches today and white evangelicals today? Just oh, I never owned slaves. I had nothing. You know, no, 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 no Daniel nine type of repentance for it whatsoever. No, no repentance, restitution, restoration type of mindset has been extended. Has, and we have not saw these communities of mission field whatsoever to reconstruct based on the law of God. And we're going to suggest slavery as an answer again in America. That's all that will be heard. And it will be a joke. It, it probably, it, I mean, whatever. You get the point. Now. We haven't earned that voice. It's true that the pagan state incarceration programs are indeed a form of slavery. And a hideous one at that. Injustice to the core. You know, it's true that, as Bojadar Marinoff points out in Acts the Root podcast, contrasting biblical slavery versus chattel slavery, that slavery is an inescapable post-fall reality until the final judgment. It will exist in one form or another. Either righteous slavery, biblical slavery, which includes for criminal justice reform, but it also includes for economic indentured servitude and a bunch of different reasons, or three really to be, be precise. Or unrighteous, humanistic slavery. Which one? Will it be biblical slavery or unrighteous, 
humanistic slavery that we have in the prison industrial complex today. Long sentences in the war on drugs. Long sentences where the government, there's good evidence the government put these drugs into these communities. And there is plenty of evidence online that drugs are planted on black people and judges are bribed and the corruption through and through and putting a young black man in a cage you know, for 20 years for a substance that he has in his pocket trying to trying to come up, try to get out of his position. Yeah, it's 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 slavery. You know, $300 a head for the man. $300 a head every day, you know, state and federal. Feed the prison industrial complex. Keep the elites in power. Feeds the bureaucrats. Feeds Moloch. Always demands human sacrifice. Yeah, but that's, the, that's what exists today. And the reason why that slavery exists today is because we have not done, as the body of Christ, what we need to do to smash the idol, simply stating the truth of the righteousness of biblical slavery and the unrighteousness of slavery to the humanistic state is not enough. We must earn the platform to state it. We must gain the credentials that come with the Daniel nine type of repentance. We must ident not be afraid to assume the guilt, to take guilt from previous generations and assume it on our back and repent for it. You know, therefore, Joel took he took a step back, seeing all this, wanting to write the, wanting to write the book on criminal justice reform. Took a step back and realized that in order to teach the truth about biblical criminal justice reform, he would have to write first that he would have to write the first ethical judicial history of the problem of slavery and racism in Christian America. Christians would have to be able to address this history with the full knowledge of the facts and compassion to be able to show the difference between the biblical model and the horrors that are still fresh in the family memories of many black families in America. When the word slavery is brought up, look, if we want to get rid of the rotten fruit, we must once and for all put the ax to the root. We must build upon a fresh foundation laid laid the only way the Bible prescribes. Repentance, restitution, restoration. So conservatives have a knee-jerk reaction when you suggest that Christians today bear the guilt of white Christians of generations past in regard to slavery and racism. Of course, it's a leftist tactic to play the white guilt card. And they play this card in a disingenuous effort to play off blacks as a, a, a political constituency. There's no truth behind their liberal tears. You know, they, they just whip up these emotions to keep the same system in power. These are the same status. They have no alternative to the prison industrial complex. Their idea of criminal justice reform is lesser sentences. Like the pro-life movement's idea of justice is a 20-week ban on child sacrifice. The cages and chains will remain. Furthermore, they, the leftists, they're the ones who have constructed the modern government plantations in the welfare state that feeds the prison industrial complex. They have no alternative, only propaganda when they play this race card, only propaganda. And it's phony. No solutions at all whatsoever for the black community or anyone caught in the net of the government ghettos for that matter. Now, the only reason why they're race baiting and their race card playing works 
is because Christian conservatives knee jerk reaction is to say something ridiculous about cultural Marxism and babble some nonsense about abolishing just government programs as being enough to free these communities from the state's web. Period. That's not going to work. Just stating the truth without earning the platform, without rebuilding, without reconstructing, without instructing about the law of God in every single area of life. Just stating, hey, by the way, that's a government gulag and we want to take away your money. That is the way it's perceived. 100%. That is the way that it's perceived and it plays right into the devil's hands. That is exactly what the narrative is in the black community today about the white Christian conservative. It's not enough. It's not enough. That's not what's going to do it. What must happen instead, as we've been going over in this, in this acts to the, in this, I'm sorry, in this war room boots on the ground edition, covering the problem of slavery in Christian America, Daniel nine and white guilt as, as uh, a covenantally, what we've been going on, what we've been going over, what must happen instead is real repentance and restitution. You want to smash the idols of the welfare state, apply Daniel nine and get to work. You want to end the black community's support for the pagan states, false help that they have that keeps them in chains, then show what real help looks like. Apply Daniel nine and get to work. Truly reconstruct these communities as a mission field. I want everybody to go and listen to Bo Marinoff's acts to the root podcast on missions and apply that lesson to the government uh, impoverished ghetto inhabitants that we have in America. Biblical education, trade, instruction, provide for physical needs, discipleship. I mean, think about it. If you have a homeschool network, let's just say if you're building a network and it's based on covenantal thinking, it's based on a biblical view for all of life. And that homeschool network, say you're building a platform and it costs like 300 bucks a month for people on the computer to get on that platform. Make that platform free in the hood. Make it free. Get there. Because what they get in these government humanistic incubation centers is total. I mean, it is just it is just such mindless uh, uh, filth of government secularist indoctrination, leftist indoctrination. You want to combat that? Educate. Build something. Get in there. Provide an education. Provide a hope. If you're, if you're a man of means, a woman of means, it's a Christian thing with a covenantal worldview, adopt some families. Or you'll work, get down there, win their trust. Put yourself out there. Reconstruct these communities based on the law of God. If this was seen just as a, as, as a central mission field in the church today, among white evangelicals or whoever, just just the church today, the, the, the ministry industrial, the churches that have money and means. If you want to go ahead and make America great again, if you want to, to, to defy the federal beast and undercut the tyranny that's in Washington, D.C., the top-down administrative state rule, go serve those that they leech off of and go actually help them apply the word of God to every single area of life. If we serve the least in society, the least that were created by us, our ancestors, our predecessors, if we serve provide discipleship, trades, 
education, real reconstruction, genuine restitution, not a check. I mean, you know, that the government's putting checks in the mailbox right now. Teach economics according to the Bible. Get them in there. Get them out of the humanistic incubation centers. And you will see in service to the least of these in our communities in America, if we serve the least of these, if we go into the government plantations in the hood, and who resides there isn't just black people. It's obviously there's whites, Latino, all sorts of different kinds of shades or whatever. Just anybody who's hooked on the government cheese. Get in there. Serve the least of them. And remember, as you go to serve, do so within a covenantal framework of repentance. We are here to build something, to, to reconstruct and build something that has been destroyed by covenantal faithlessness. History did not begin yesterday. And no, I didn't own any slaves. And no, I am not a racist. But I want to overturn the legacy of slavery and racism and Christian America and take this white guilt for this, these awful atrocities that we've been covering. You could slap it on my back because I repent, Lord. I repent for my predecessors that did this. Help us, lead us, guide us, God. Show us what we can do to reconstruct these areas of society that have been sacrificed to the pagan state because of our apathy and because of our cruelty in the past. Lord, we love your law. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. Amen. I'd like to thank you all uh, for joining today on, on, this, uh, on this War Room Boots on the Ground. I want to see if, uh, if, we have, if we have Bill available, I'd bring him on. Doesn't look like it. Well, anyway, go ahead and wrap this up. If anybody has any questions that they would like to put in the comment section really fast, I went way over time. Uh, I thought I had this planned out a little bit better. Um, there, I, I had about 12 or 13 different excerpts of this Problem of Slavery in Christian America book by Joel McDermott that I didn't, I couldn't even get to. And, and reading the book is, is like that. Please. Um, go to uh, reconstructionistradio.com, listen to me read it to you, but more importantly, go go to AmericanVision.org and purchase that book and make sure that you get it in the hands of your pastor. Get it in the hands of the elders. Get it in the hands of anyone in the ministry or industrial complex. Bribe them to read it. Do whatever you have to do. But get this knowledge in their heads. And, well... That's just about it. I love y'all. I appreciate you. What's up, Jasmine? Uh, have fun reading your posts in the group. Nancy, oh, I love you, my sister. It was great to see you. Tony Canone's up in here. Uh, Larry Ball, what's up, brother? Doug and Barbara, oh, y'all are warriors. Joel Saint, what's up, brother? Man, uh, I got to finally meet you one of these days. Hopefully, I'll come to the Mid-Atlantic Conference. That's um, uh, is a... Is a uh, a legend, man. Um, John Howell. <laughs> At Postmill, baby. Yeah, look. Uh, uh, another brother I have to get up with. Jeremy Walker, of course. I mean, you know, can't say enough about you, brother. Anyway, um, can't get 
um, guy. What's up, guy? Um, that's a brother right there that's on the um, forum for the uh, problem of slavery in Christian America. Uh, really, really passionate brother about righteousness and justice. And yeah, look, let's just uh, let's just repent together uh, on this. Repent with us. Repent with me. And let's let's bear this guilt and, and move forward and and smash this smash this idol. Like to thank y'all. Oh, look, Joe Foreman tuned in. What's up? What's up, brother? All right. So this uh, this podcast is going to be up on Reconstructionist Radio War Room. It'll be up by tomorrow. Uh, make sure that you cop that book, uh, Problem Slavery in Christian America by Dr. Joel McDermott. And I just love y'all. Thank you for uh, bearing with me, uh, bearing with me tonight for uh, for 90 minutes. <laughs> Appreciate you. God bless. Thank you for joining us in the war room. Please enjoy the nation's rage, Psalm 2, by my soul among lions. Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.